0: We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This is the Sports Social where we do sports chats for everyone and today I really need to talk to you about the power situation here in Australia. Bring it. Because lights went off. Multiple times during multiple games over the weekend. I knew that happened at the Gabba. Yeah, and then it happened at a netball game on Saturday night in Adelaide. Oh, dear. So let's go back. The one at the Gabba was the Brisbane Lions versus the Melbourne Demons. Demons? It was a bit of a, like, semi-final rematch. Um, And lights went off in the fourth quarter for 40 minutes. Oh, that's annoying. Because one of the lights was on fire. I mean, it was – Good, safe reason to turn the lights off. But it also does suggest that there is an argument to redeveloping the Gabba.
1: (laughs) I think, (laughs) I feel like... That would be a
2: less than ideal outcome at the Olympics. Did someone
0: actually, (laughs) did did someone set it up so that they could argue for the redevelopment? It's like a no deal. It's like, yep, just do it. Yeah, we see your point now. Got it. There's a problem. And then on Saturday... A net, the netball match between, I think it was the New South Wales Swifts and the Adelaide Thunder in Adelaide. They'd already had like an hour delay because they had, did you say de- oh, decals? Yeah. Or decals? I never know. Decals. Decals. It's decals. Not decals. De- decals sounds really it's weird. Not decals. I've heard people say decals. No, they're like, wrong. Oh, I don't think that's how you say it. They literally had to pull them off the court. Because it was dangerous. Was that the same game? Yes. Oh, no. And then at half time, They lost power Mm. and they couldn't get it back. So then the game was abandoned and it was called a draw because it literally was a draw at halftime. But a bit disappointing for those players. And the spectators. Can I also tell you the other thing that happened in netball on Sunday Mm. was that the umpires forgot who had the centre pass at the dying minutes of the game between the Collingwood Magpies netball team and the Vixens. No. And so the Vixens then went on to win.
2: No. And
0: all I'm saying is a scrunchie is very helpful. You just shuffle it from one wrist to the other to keep track of. Is that of how co- they actually do it? I'm pretty sure that's what they used to say. In the professional At the club league? level. <laughs> I mean, at the professional league, I feel like there's someone who could be in a bunker just like, yes, that's a green centre pass, green centre pass. But there's more than one umpire, surely. There's two. Yeah. And they both forgot. Yeah. No. Collingwood's not happy. No. I can't imagine they would be. And that was just three matches that went a little bit pear-shaped over the weekend well makes for exciting chats on the sports social
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm brooklyn and i'm seven and i like doing sport because it's good for you
1: and it makes you strong and healthy
2: I went to a really exciting event last Wednesday, which was the Brisbane 2032 Legacy Forum. So p- for people who aren't Olympic <laughs> or Paralympic. Or Paralympic. Um, it was basically about 500 people got together on Wednesday. Just a small meeting. Very small meeting. <laughs> and the aim of the forum was to kind of come up with ideas of what we want the 2032 Brisbane Games to to create and the legacy that we want to leave as a city, as a community. They went through previous Olympics and Paralympics and what those legacies were in those cities. So whether it was regeneration of urban um, spaces, creating jobs and innovation. In London it was like redoing all of, I think it was the south of London. Yeah. that Because yeah. that's predominantly where it was all held. Mm. Yeah, it was really kind of an exciting thing to be a part of. I haven't ever been involved in sports administration or in the preparation for an Olympic Games, so it was really kind of, and you know, obviously, this isn't the um, specific infrastructure around the Olympics or the Paralympics in twenty thirty two, but it's it, it was really about what we as a community want Brisbane to be remembered for. Mm not just, you know, in the 10 years in the lead-up to 2032, but in the 10 years after as well.
0: It's such an important piece of work because we saw the impact that the Sydney Olympics had on that city yeah, and how that sort of transformed. So, for example, with
2: Sydney, that was all rubbish land basically. Oh,
0: where Sydney Olympic Park is. Yeah,
2: where Homebush was created, all the Athletes' Village, all of that sort of stuff. So they – completely transformed that area into usable land and usable area which obviously has incredible stadiums and facilities as well
0: as accommodation. Okay so what was what were your main takeaways what did you listen to and go that's a great idea I find that exciting yes we need to do that. So they had um,
2: four breakout rooms so you kind of chose the areas that you wanted to go towards I obviously went towards sport health and inclusion because that's my jam you didn't go to town planning and I'm I really didn't. glad you didn't
0: yeah it's not your strong yeah. point <laughs> it's not my strongest point
2: um yeah so there's like regional and global connectivity so that was yes the infrastructure potentially like trains and connecting regional Queensland to Brisbane and the global community but it was also literal connectivity like you know innovation and tech sort of stuff. Jobs and innovation was another area and I can't remember the fourth one which clearly wasn't very interesting. Not your jam, Not my jam at all but it was great. It was so fascinating. Inclusion was the I think the absolute winner on the day. I think that's what everyone was most interested in making Brisbane as an inclusive city as possible. So how we can develop our infrastructure, how we can make our city really accessible for athletes with a disability, for all the community who have a disability who want to come and be part of the Games.
0: To that end, talk to me about Kurt Fernley. Oh.
2: (laughs) So the whole thing was, for me, just so... Exciting to be a part of, so I was kind of, I was pretty high throughout the day, or like I was pretty excited to be there. As you don't think you can tell, and then right at the end, Kurt Fernley came and onto the stage and and spoke to the the five hundred strong audience, and he only spoke for about ten minutes. He had no notes. I, I think he was speaking completely off the cuff. He had twins. Well, his wife had twins about three days ago.
0: Oh, God. Prior to speaking. So he's had no sleep.
2: He had zero sleep. And the way he spoke about the impact that a Games can have on a community and the impact that the trajectory that his life took because he saw the Paralympic Games coming to the 2000 Olympics and where that took him in his life. I, I mean I was in tears, <laughs> like literal tears. It was so embarrassing. I had like tears just streaming down my face because that's that's what sport can do. And I don't know that I don't know if Australia, let alone Brisbane, really know what we're in for for the next ten years and the ten years after that because it's it's so special and it's yes it's about elite performance and yes it's about the athletes. But it's so much bigger than that. There's so much that goes into creating an Olympic Games and a Paralympic Games and there's so much that goes into the spectacle and the way that it can bring communities together and we all evolve to be better humans for it. I just, uh, yeah, I mean, Kurt Finley is just, he's a god to me. (laughs) I just love everything that he does. He's an absolute rock star but yeah, I'm really excited to see how Brisbane 2032 can really create a magical moment, not just in 2032, but in the in the lead up to it.
0: Hi, my name's Kate Brown. And the thing I love about sport is just the community that comes together and that you can't judge anybody by the way they look or the, by the way they run, because at the end of the day, we're all out there doing the same thing and achieving our own goals. Steph Reed is an unbelievable point guard for the Townsville Fire, who are the WNBL team who just won the national championship. Yeah, and they did. We are lucky to talk to her today. Welcome, Steph. Hi, welcome. Thank you for
1: having
0: me. Sorry, that was weird. <laughs> We're all <laughs> no, we being guys,
1: weird. It's a, it's a Monday morning. <laughs> and welcome to my talk, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're legend. I love it
0: so We're much. We're so happy to be with you. Oh, oh, thanks, <laughs> hey, guys. Steph,
1: you.
0: tell us how little Steph Reed, who grew up loving <laughs> and watching basketball, would have felt about your huge win on Wednesday night.
1: Yeah, she would have been really excited. I mean, I watched a lot of WBL growing up. Um, I went to a lot of Nong Rangers games as a kid. So to know now that I'm at that level and to win the whole league on Wednesday, I think that she
2: would have been pretty proud. The Townsville Fire were literally on fire, right? Like they had, was it 14 (laughs) consecutive wins heading into the final series against the Southside Flyers? What sort of magic is happening up there in Townsville? Like I'm I'm a Townsville girl, I get it. But for the people who don't (laughs) know, what's happening up there? I mean, I think
1: like this community has been really supportive of us this season. Like we definitely do have the best fans in the league. And like I think everyone says that about their fans, but we genuinely do. And we have such a good connection with them. We've had like sellout crowds. Uh, we have an incredible community-owned organization, which is the only one in Australia. So like that in itself, I think, is pretty magical. And we have just really, really good people. Like Shannon did a really good job recruiting in great human beings before basketball players. And then it kind of just worked out that they were all really good at basketball too. So, um, yeah, it's been a really enjoyable season. I think that's probably the biggest thing when it comes to being successful for us. You guys sound like Ted Lasso, the AFC Richmond team. <laughs> great human <laughs> beings before players. I love it. Yeah, he loves Ted Lasso. Shannon <laughs> quotes it all the time, so it's not surprising. So
0: <laughs> hey, Steph, Shannon is someone who you credit as really being a turning point in your career why is that
1: i think that at a professional level it's really hard to find a coach that genuinely believes in you and is willing to invest the time and effort to make you great like, at a professional level it's really it's a business and you have to be great most of the time before you go somewhere and i think shannon found me like, in college and then gave me an opportunity to go away with him for the under 23s australian team where um, I've never represented Australia or my state before as a kid. So I think, you know, the belief that he's had in me for the last three seasons now is what caused, like, a lot of belief in me as a player and our relationship has really taken my game to another level. You haven't had
2: the most traditional kind of trajectory into basketball. Can you tell everybody about the way that you kind of got into the WNBL? Because you
1: started with a bit of touch football back then. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I grew up playing for Frankston. I played touch football all of high school. I played the state for that, but I never played in like any state or national programs growing up in basketball. Um, and then at the end of year 12, I got an offer to go to Buffalo. So um, there was a full scholarship for four year degree there. So I took the chance because otherwise I probably would have just ended up playing state league and having to work full time, which wasn't really ideal or what I was wanting to do at that point. Um, So I went over there. I really enjoyed it. And then when I came back, I got an opportunity as a development player in the WNBL. And um, yeah, the rest is really history. I mean, Shannon found me in college and kind of had his eyes on me. And then when he got the job in Townsville, he recruited me, but it was a bit too late. So we waited a year and reconvened (laughs) when I was available. And Yeah, it's been great ever since.
0: Tell us a bit more about your experience in the US because for those who don't know, Buffalo is the University of Buffalo in New York State and you played college basketball for them. What was that experience like? Because in the States, college sport is everything.
1: Yeah, it's huge. And like the fans are insane. And like when you go away, people look up your bio and will yell at you about your parents and your sisters and your brothers (laughs) and everything while you're shooting free throws like they do their homework it is literally everything they're so passionate Mm. about college sports and i think like the you know the big transition for me was having to focus on school basketball having to do extras and then you know trying to fit in a social life or like anything else outside of that because you're doing 20 hours a week school then 20 hours a week of training and then you know you've got 10 hours of study hall so it is a full on experience, but I think it teaches you a lot of discipline. And I got a lot of life lessons out of college, like from my college coach. She was a big like inspiration and probably a mentor for me. Like even now, we still communicate. So, yeah, my experience over there definitely shaped me to be a professional
0: now. I would say. So it, that experience is something you see reflected in how you play the game now. Like, can you when you're on the court, do you feel like you're bringing a different edge because of that
1: experience? Oh, absolutely! Like my college coach. I didn't, I had never really met anyone that was as competitive, if not more than I was until I met her and she just demanded that at every single aspect of the game and it just put like a little bit more grit in me and like she, like Shannon, showed a lot of belief in me and I think that that kind of changed and turned me into like, I guess people call me like the little terrier because I'm just like (laughs) a bit annoying. (laughs) Yeah, I think like she really was a turning point for that and making me play with energy and intensity all the time. And I think that's something that like now I can differentiate between my game and others.
2: I'm interested to hear your thoughts around, like I think a lot of parents of young athletes think that their child needs to be showing like a huge amount of promise from a really young age, but obviously your experience is a little bit different because you weren't playing state or national level throughout kind of your schooling um, years. Do you think it makes a difference whether you're really good really young or whether, you know, you get good later on?
1: Um, I think like for me obviously it was I was pretty like solid growing up but I was never in that top tier um, athlete. So I think like people peak at different times and, you know, obviously at – a young age, they look for certain like traits, like you know, tall people and long limbs and quick and athletic. And I was fast, but I was little and had very small wingspan. I still have a very small wingspan that <laughs> never grew. But <laughs> I think like if you really love the game, like you can find a way to be successful. And I think like, that's probably what's more important now, especially for parents, making sure that their kids actually enjoy the game. I think kids now, like I do a lot of coaching, and kids just have so much pressure on them. Yes, at a young age and. Like I think that's going to make people lose the love of the game and I think if people love the game, they'll work hard and if they work hard, then they can be successful. But if people are dreading it because of the pressure, then, you know, that's probably going to limit them more than anything else. Yes, Steph,
2: yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) Steph, that is so wise and so
0: important. important. It's so important. It's so important for people to hear that from elite athletes that your child doesn't need to be training five or six times a week. Mm. They Just let them love the game. Let them play and the rest will follow. Just fall in
1: love with it. Like, just fall in love with it. I think that's so important. Like, even when I go out and I have a bad game, like, I'll usually look back and be like, I was just not having fun. Like, the best games I have, I just have so much fun. And, like, if you can do that at a professional level, you should be teaching your kids to do the same thing at a young level, too. I think it's so important.
2: Just the perfect way to finish our conversation, Steph. That was (laughs) absolutely magic. Congratulations for winning the grand final. Is that what it's called in basketball? Grand final. Um, Yeah, grand
1: final. We're still
2: learning. We're still learning.
1: Um, That's okay. (laughs) Yeah,
2: you were absolutely magic. We can't wait to see your career trajectory from here.
0: We're now official Townsville's fire. Fans. Well, I always was. You were. Libby always yeah. was. I've jumped on <laughs> the bandwagon. Yeah, good.
1: <laughs> good. The bandwagon is open. You're <laughs> all the welcome. Jump on. Jump on board, please. <laughs> My name is Sarah Walsh. I'm head of
0: Women's Football World Cup Legacy and Inclusion. And what I love about sport is
1: all the friendships that I've made and new people, new people I get to meet.
2: This is a hard conversation to have. It's yeah. really complicated.
0: And. Every time I read something about it on the weekend and over the last week, I've literally wanted to pick up the phone and just say to you, hang on, talk me through your thoughts. Mm. So that's what I'm going to do right now. Okay. (laughs) Let's workshop this. Let's work through it. We want to talk about the transgender issue in sport. It sort of pains me that we describe it as an issue. Me too. I just think that's so unhelpful. We want to talk about it because World Athletics came out this week and said that they needed to protect the female category and in order to do that they were going to ban all transgender women uh, from participating in elite athletics.
2: Mm. This is after FINA had done.
0: Yeah, so World Aquatics. Sorry, they've gone to World Aquatics. World Aquatics. Thank you. Good pickup. Yeah, You're welcome. I know your sport. They've also taken a similar path as has World Rugby, and this is in direct, not conflict, but this is not necessarily what the IOC has put up as a model. They have said to come at this issue from a place of inclusion Mm. and assess individuals on a case-by-case basis. Mm. And as I read all of these different things and listened to different things, all I could think was, how would you have felt at, say, the Beijing Olympics, If you were on the blocks and you were in that grand final, grand final, in that final, I've been watching too much (laughs) (laughs) basketball, how would you have felt in that final if you had been on the blocks and next to you or in that group of eight, there had been a transgender woman that you were racing against? And I don't want to put you on the spot. Mm. But also. (laughs) But also I'm putting you on the spot.
2: No, it's, I mean, obviously it's something that I've had to kind of wrestle with and, and think a lot about because this... The transgender, and let's be honest, it's mostly transgender women, uh, is is a huge topic of conversation around sport at the moment. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I think most people would imagine that I would land in being against it, being against transgender women participating at that elite level, it's a conversation I've had a lot with um, multiple different people in my life. And I think if you had spoken to me when I was a current athlete, perhaps my views would be very different to what they are now and would probably be more aligned with, like, it's unfair, there's going to be, a you know, a definite maybe physical advantage that they might have. But that was when I was desperate to win. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. And it was all about winning and it was only about winning and my self-worth was completely aligned with getting the gold medal and time and, you know, hopefully a little bit of wisdom has kind of come into my life. And the way that I feel and especially off the back of the Brisbane Legacy Forum, which was all about inclusion last week. Sport, whether it's at grassroots, community level, mature age athletes, masters, all that elite level competition, for me, I think is just it's it has to be about inclusion. And it has to be about accepting everybody from every walk of life, whether you know you have you're an athlete with a disability or you're a refugee um, escaping a war torn country. I just, I just, I can't help but feel so deeply for these transgender athletes who are at the center of this conversation and aren't being spoken to kindly and are being completely just, it's, it, it's, 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 a, I don't know how else to describe it, but people are like, I'm not against transgender athletes, I'm not against them. But I don't want them anywhere near us. Mm. And I, I just that, that way of talking about it is so – it really hurts my soul because I just know how important sport was for me as a kid to get purpose, to get routine, to feel a part of a community. And if these kids don't have that pathway, they don't see themselves – you know, being able to go and compete at the highest level, whatever that is for them, for their sport, I just, I I feel. And, yes, obviously there's conversations around safety in sport and, yes, there's conversations that need to happen around testosterone levels and all of those sorts of things. But also, you know, I have high testosterone. I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. I have a much higher testosterone level than other females and I'm 100% sure that was an advantage For me,
0: So it's interesting that you raise the testosterone level because at the same time World Athletics has come out and they've changed the acceptable testosterone level, which really impacts DSD athletes. They're athletes that have differences in sexual development and there are 13 of those athletes currently participating in World Athletics.
2: Casta Semenya is is the example.
0: Right. So they have now been effectively banned Mm. as well until they can reduce their testosterone levels, which means they will have to undertake medical intervention Mm. to do so. It just feels like a very uh, dangerous – I don't know if dangerous is overstating it, but you're asking people to take medical intervention to change who they are Mm. in order to participate in something they've always participated in. This disproportionately affects certain minorities or countries and – people who have access to medical care. Gender reassignment is not something you can just walk in and pick up.
2: And I think that's easily. And and I think that's a important point as well. And I heard um, Kieran Perkins, who's the the head of the Australian Sports Commission, talking on QA quite a few months ago now. But there's not going to be this tidal wave of men and there's not. transitioning to be women to win at an Olympics or a Paralympic Games. Like that, that's just not going to happen. These people are incredibly marginalised. They are within the minority and they need to be embraced. And, yes, I understand that as athletes that might be hard to navigate because you spend so much time and effort working towards an Olympic gold medal or a Paralympic gold medal and that's what you've dedicated your time to.
0: But this is where... Sport
2: is so much more than that.
0: And the decisions made at the elite level have massive consequences for grassroots sport Yeah, and it's the tone that you're setting and it's the acceptance you're demonstrating at that level. Please don't just listen to our perspective on this issue. There are lots of different sources of information. One we would highly recommend is Tracy Holmes' podcast, The Ticket, Tracy Holmes' is is a brilliant broadcaster with the ABC who just won a Lifetime Achievement Award for her contribution to sports journalism. She's done a fantastic episode in relation to transgender athletes. She's spoken to experts all around the world and gives a lot more perspective on the topic of these athletes participating in sport.
2: Shane Dorr, General Manager Coastal Safety for Surf Life Saving Australia. I love sport because what it does is it brings people together, it creates passion, it creates a team environment, and it celebrates everything that we do. Sport
0: Sport shots! Shots!
1: (laughs) So exciting every time. (laughs) Just
0: going to crack ourselves up. Um, Georgie, Mm -hmm. I have a a novel. This is so intellectual of you. I love it.
2: I'm inspired by your The Willow Man.
0: Just Willow Man. Okay
2: cricket fictional novel but this is a real story
0: about
2: right (laughs) about it's called shoe dog which is the story of phil knight who is the founder of nike Mm -hmm. i loved it it was such an interesting book in so many different ways like to see what is you know a multi-billion dollar company now and where it came from and what it took for him to kind of take it to that Level And I, I say this in mind because the Nike movie is coming out oh, in I, April, I is think. Is it called
0: Air? Air,
2: yeah, which is a, a little bit of Nike. It's a little bit of the Air Jordan mm. brand. But it's, yeah, it's so, so interesting. And it's, I mean, it's it's remarkable. I mean, this came from Oregon. Like the, you know, most famous shoe brand has come from Oregon in, in America.
0: And Hang on, why are you dissing Oregon? No I, it's just are you I just saying it didn't come from New York or l a yeah, or yeah, got it. They like running there, apparently. well, and yeah, and the, so the spiritual home, yeah, of sneakers, yeah, seems appropriate, actually.
2: It's actually it it was a really, really interesting book. I highly recommend they didn't really go into, and you know, oh, probably for obvious reasons, they didn't go into like the sweatshop conversation. <laughs>
0: They just glossed over that they part. They kind of
2: glossed over that at the end. Um,
0: was that that was late eighties, early nineties? Yeah, correct. So yeah, this really
2: focuses on the very beginnings of Nike.
0: And it's Nike was like the ultimate marketing story. Yes, that that would be interesting. I should read it. I'm pretty sure. Did you buy it? Or yeah, okay. I think we gave it to our father-in-law. Oh, I'll just borrow it from you, though. You can borrow it. Thank me. you. Such a tight ass. <laughs> or I could just buy it. Good. But I'll loan it to you. Thank you. Uh, my sports shorts is of an F1 flavour. You yeah. Because I'm not sure if you know, but the F1 is coming to Australia, people.
1: It's so exciting. It's
0: on in Melbourne uh, from like the 30th of March to the 3rd of April. You
2: can just say this weekend.
0: Okay. Oh, thanks, Jase. <laughs> <laughs> on this weekend I had a hot tip from a lady I uh, do some work with around active travels to school and stuff like that and she said to me when she was raving about how deep she is in F1 and how much she now listens to four different podcasts that talk about F1 which so I good. just including
2: love, ours obviously but
0: naturally <laughs> but she said Georgie don't just watch the race what you need to do is watch the qualifying because yes. that is where the action happens And that that was news to me. I'd always just. Should we have a viewing party? Oh, don't go over the top.
2: (laughs) We're not going to Melbourne, obviously.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, we're still available. It's not too late, guys. You can still invite
2: us.
0: (laughs) We're available. Uh, So F1 is coming up and then hot off the heels of F1 is the Bells Beach Rip Curl Pro. Oh, yes. I am right into
2: that make or break. How good is uh, it? The make or break documentary that you recommended. Oh, so good. I'm all about Gabrielle Medina. Yes. He's my fave. Yes.
0: And Owen Wilson, not Owen Wilson. (laughs) The
1: actor? Wow. (laughs) You mean
0: Kelly Slater? (laughs) God, is at the end of this already? No, Owen Wright, Ah, Tyler Wright's brother, uh, retired Over the weekend. So I think Bells might be his final event. Wow. He suffered a really significant concussion at Pipe uh, a few years ago and has just decided that now's the time to. He he won bronze, didn't he? And he won bronze at the Tokyo Olympics. That was after he'd recovered. He couldn't walk after Um. his injury from his concussion. So he made an incredible recovery and went on to win bronze in Tokyo, which was just the most beautiful story ever. Great story arc, Owen. Be- yeah. You couldn't write that stuff. And he, I think Bells will be his final mm. event. Well, I'll be tuning in. So Livy, we are actually going to be taking a two week break. Because it's school holidays. Which makes recording of podcasts virtually impossible because we will be surrounded by really, Many children, really noisy kids. <laughs> it's not pleasant for us, let alone you. Yes. No, I mean, they're delightful. We love them <laughs> and we love spending time with them. But from an audio perspective, it's not. It's noisy. It's not the best. But you can still listen to us. If you're missing us, you can still listen to one of our other 29 episodes. Yes. There's a whole back catalogue. And you might have missed some that we released over the Christmas break. One was with Sarah Walsh. The other was with Natalie Cork talking about Football Australia and the upcoming FIFA Women's World Cup and also talking about what an Olympic Games is going to bring to Australia. There's also a chat with Cody Simpson. Oh, yes. The Comeback Special and Lauren Jackson. And Lauren Jackson. Totally forgot about that. So go and check those out. And over that two-week break, we will still be posting on on our our socials. On our socials. Um, Feel free to flick us anything you'd like us to cover, talk about. Otherwise, go and enjoy some sport and some Easter eggs at the same time. What a perfect combination.
2: Have a great, safe and happy Easter holidays, everybody.
0: And we'll see you on April 18th. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Sports Social. We so enjoy bringing you these episodes. And if you have a friend who you think would enjoy these sports chats, please share it with them and let them know about us. And we absolutely love receiving your feedback and your
2: reviews. It totally lights us up. If you are enjoying this kind of sports content, head over to our Instagram page at The Sports Social Podcast. Otherwise, we will chat to you next week.
0: Bye.